Welcome to episode number 43 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Shreen Barami, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist based out of San Francisco. And in this episode, we discuss how Shireen launched her private practice, taking a leap into entrepreneurship and focusing on helping adults struggling with eating disorders. Also talking about how Shireen then launched Evolve Wellness, which is her group practice, which you can find at evolvetherapy.org. And finally, we discuss Shireen's new book, Stop Binging, Start Living, and the whole process behind that and how it's basically a sprint to get that done. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show over on iTunes by leaving a rating and review. I would very much so appreciate that. And of course, you can follow Just Go Grind on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and also YouTube. Check it out. Without further ado, here is Shreen Barami. Shreen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. Happy to be here with you. Yeah, happy to be doing this and having another different perspective of what a business is and different type of business. And I know you've been a licensed marriage and family therapist for a while, but how did you start with your own private practice? How did that come about? Well, I would say it's always kind of been a dream of mine. I think after even just learning about the field of psychology and what kind of career you could have with it. And yeah, I always kind of felt very distant, the idea of (laughs) having my own office and making my own hours and, and all of that. But as I you know, got closer to licensure, it felt more real. And yeah, and it, uh, the pieces fell into place now that I look back quite literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things I think a lot of people kind of think of starting their own thing. I know you worked, where did you work before you actually started your own thing? Yeah, I did. So as a part of my licensure as a marriage and family therapist, they require... 3,000 hours of training. So I interned first at an elementary school for two years and then started a paid position at an eating disorder treatment program. So it was like a day program. Clients were there up to eight hours a day. And so I was there for almost five years full time. And then about halfway through started to do private practice on the side. And yeah. Halfway through started private practice on the side. And then like how many hours were you doing the private practice? Just curious. Yeah, uh, that started super slow. So I think it was just, you know, like I think the first year I had maybe two, three clients um, and then grew to maybe five, six the next year. And so then I sublet an office space. And then as it continued to grow, I just then earned my license, then started to kind of have it more balanced with like, it was about 20 hours at the treatment program and then 20 hours in private practice and then made the leap to full-time private practice. Yeah. I'm curious those initial clients were, were they like referrals or how were you getting these first clients? Those were clients from the treatment program. And so it wasn't typical, but if clients were local and, you know, we, we built that relationship and rapport, then uh, we were allowed to work with clients that they wanted to continue with us outside of the program. So that awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then going to, obviously, you say you're launching your own thing and really going full-time into that. Uh, what were you feeling when you decided to make the leap? That's going to be a little scary. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> it was very scary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just, it felt right, but then, yeah, but then scary. And I had to talk it through with a lot of people around me. And 
you know, it was kind of like, all right, you can always go back or you, you, there, you can find that job again in a treatment program setting. Like I felt really confident in, in that setting. And yeah, so it just, another opportunity fell into place where I was able to do some on-call work for another eating disorder program. And that ended up being a bit more time commitment that I was expecting, but that did help like financially as I made that, you know, leap in a private practice. So yeah, some good things kind of happened during that time, but <laughs> definitely mentally, emotionally, it was scary for sure. Yeah. And taking, yeah, taking that leap is definitely, it's fearful. I, I've talked to a lot of people now about that and they all kind of say a similar thing. It's like, you just kind of had to though, but you could, mm-hmm. you had a fallback, you know, you could always go back, which is something that is reassuring to help you make that leap, knowing you have yeah. a backup option. And, you know, as you're going to take the leap and you're going to have your own private practice, like how much of this did you have like mapped out in a document of like, these are all the things I'm going to do to get clients and how I'm going to grow the business. And like, how much of that was that versus like, let's just talk to people I know. I'm curious the process. There. Yeah. I think I don't recall having anything really mapped out, but I worked kind of diligently to get a private practice supervisor and someone that I was really comfortable with. And I can distinctly remember sitting on her couch and like, how did you do this? How do you have a full-time practice? And I remember her telling me like, it happens. It happens over time, but it does happen. And so it's kind of (laughs) surrender and trust in the process of eventually people get to know you and yeah, and it comes together. And, And I still, I mean, there are definitely things that I can get into later of how I feel, you know, it's, it's been able to grow, but there is that like, just kind of just, you know, trusting to this process of getting clients and yeah, being, yeah. Yeah. I imagine, I remember from my fitness days of like, you know, you get some clients, but then obviously you get results with them and they like you. And then they have the word of mouth referrals, Mm -hmm. which can be really helpful. Was it that type of thing early on for the clients and how you grew initially? So not really. So with my field, I guess, and specifically my niche of eating disorders, our clients don't really, you know, share, oh, I'm, I'm getting treated for this. <laughs> Do you right, know right. how to? So it's a lot of online search. And so luckily I had a friend who, an engineer who helped me build my website very early on. And, you know, and then I joined some paid lift serves to market your private practice. And so those were my primary ways of getting clients in the beginning it was just they, you know, were drawn to what I had to say in my bio or profile. And so it was primarily, you know, online and then word of mouth comes from the other clinicians in the field. And just like, as you get to know other people and some complimentary clinicians like dietitians or doctors, but, um, but I would still say that primarily online is where I get most of our clients. Okay. And with the other clinicians or other people in the field, where have you found like some of the best places to meet these people? And like, obviously you have referrals back and forth between them. Like where are you meeting these people? Like how have you approached that? Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, of course, yes, there are the different networking events, different trainings where, you know, business cards can be exchanged, but I think it's, you know, okay, I have this colleague from this treatment program and then they introduce me to someone. <laughs> so just kind of that, you know, oh, I know someone kind of thing. Or, you know, honestly like looking for when I had my private practice initially and started getting full of going online and looking who else was out there and kind of, 
introducing myself and saying, I'd like to send a client to you. Are you open to receiving clients? And then just kind of doing a lot of coffee dates and <laughs> with people one-on-one. And yeah. Okay. Do you remember exactly how long it took to get to that full-time level of clients? Mm-hmm. It took a year, um, <laughs> which was great. I think, again, you know, just taking that leap and then having that kind of on-call position while growing. But yeah, I think after a year, I had up to about 30 private practice clients. Okay. So within yeah. that year, you got to that full-time status and... Yeah. I mean, at that point, what was the thought of moving forward with the business in terms of like, okay, here we go. I got full-time clients now. Now what? Just keep working with people or do you have plans to grow? Like, How did that go after that year? Something happened that where in my office that I was subletting, sharing with someone, we had to move out of that building. And so then I kind of was forced to bid or I just was like, okay, I think it's time to take that leap to get my own office. So then with that, I had five days a week, actually six I worked on Saturdays too. So I had a lot of flexibility in my schedule to offer clients. So I think that was part of it too, of just, okay. (laughs) So more space literally (laughs) to take in more people. And yeah, so it was helpful to have that flexibility, but then also kind of a hindrance of work-life balance. Cause yeah, I was working a lot of late nights and Saturdays. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> it seems to take early on to make things work though, especially if you're living in San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. things are more expensive, but with those clients, I'm kind of curious as like, is it typically like a, the logistics of like sessions is it like weekly is it like monthly by whenever they need, like, how does that work? Cause obviously it could be a, a business challenge as well for figuring out yeah. how, how often they are. How does that work in your industry? Right. So you know, again, for my niche, typically clients come in knowing that they're going to be working on this weekly. And so, and that it's going to take some time. So often in my intake calls with clients, I'll say, you know, definitely, you know, we'll do an assessment, but typically recommend meeting weekly for at least three months and then reassessing that, that time, a treatment plan moving forward. But yeah, typically clients stay pretty long term. I mean, the length of stay is usually around one year. And, and that's not, you know, they, my hope and what I've seen is that, you know, they make progress pretty quickly, but that, yeah, the relationship is established and the rapport is built where once eating disorder behaviors are healed, you know, then it's just kind of other life things that come up and they get support around. And so that's kind of where I am right now with my clients is that I, I haven't really accepted new clients into my practice for about a year or two. And we've just kind of had that long term step relationship established. So some of my clients right now, I've been, I see maybe once a month um, or every okay. two weeks, but that's, yeah, because they're really out of the acuity of their disorder and it's more kind of maintenance. Right. Yeah. Definitely a transition from there. And then with these clients, I mean, you obviously said once a week for most of them for like three months. Mm-hmm. How have you, like yourself as a clinician, like as a therapist, like how have you progressed in terms of working with these people and like becoming better, I guess. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to figure out like, you know, from the beginning when you started to like now, how have you progressed in your job actually? You know, I think I, what I really like about my niche is that it can be quite concrete in some ways of that, you know, the, the behaviors will stop and that, yeah. So there's very like tangible evidence of improvement and right. I've done what I can to like meet clients where they're out of like, yeah, this is a very tenuous situation of 
some days it'll be worse than before you started treatment and but like really nailing down the progress and sometimes it may not look what they were expecting but i've i've created you know like anonymous feedback questionnaires for clients that i send out every few months and really try and welcome that atmosphere relationship of of feedback and checking in and making sure that they feel like they're getting their needs met but yeah um, yeah and yeah. And going, I mean, how many years was it working with your private practice that you had on your own until mm-hmm. you launched Evolve Wellness Group? So yeah, it was pretty soon. I feel like after that first year and then, I, you know, I was seeing the 30 clients a week and starting to get burnt out and just kind of realizing, you know, yeah, this, I can't sustain myself with <laughs> many clients. And I did miss from the treatment program. I had done a lot of some of the program directing roles, administrative roles, and I really like that kind of balance. So I, you know, read some books, uh, some therapist related business books on alternative streams of income. And so one chapter was on a group practice. And I just that kind of was like, ooh, this sounds really good. <laughs> so and within that book, there was a program and the program offered even the lawyer that was advising the program was based in the Bay Area. So I reached out to that lawyer and and that was awesome. So that really sped the process up. And yeah, so it was uh, maybe a year and a half after that private, you know, doing full-time solo private practice that I started to, to build a group practice. Yeah. And with a group practice. So mm-hmm. starting this group thing, which is obviously different from just, you know, being by yourself, like, well, how did you approach that? And like, what were some of the first steps to kind of get that going? So it was like, okay, that book, then doing the complimentary training online course that they offered. And then the first person that I spoke to was my colleague who was subletting my office space. And I really trusted her and she also had the same specialty. And so we went out for coffee and I just told her, I'm thinking about doing this. And she said, I'm in. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) And then it was like a few weeks later, another colleague reached out to me for coffee and she just was kind of wanting to pick my brain on building private practice. And, and then towards the end, I said, by the way, I'm thinking about doing this group practice thing. Let me know. And she said, I'm in. So it just kind of really came together organically. And in my mind, I mean, I wanted, again, this niche, I wanted clinicians who were A, licensed and B, had a lot of experience. And so I kind of had to go rogue a bit on some of the guidelines that the program had put out of you know, hiring people that don't have a private practice of their own or just, you know, yeah, other directives because I wanted to kind of make it my own. And this was all possible because people were still coming to your website and still wanting to work with you. Are you still just getting the stream of new like prospects, I guess? Is that why? Yeah. I mean, along with the feeling that kind of fullness and burnout, yeah, it was just that, okay, I was having to refer clients out and I felt so bad having to tell these clients who were in a, you know, a difficult time in their life. Nope. Sorry, I'm full. And, you know, I had a list of colleagues that I trusted, but they were often quite full as well, or I didn't know what their availability was, or that was constantly changing. And it was just felt like I was kind of just, you know, here's a list of colleagues, good luck. And, you know, (laughs) I, I could see why people get frustrated of having to call several clinicians to find someone with, you know, the availability that they need or location. So that was another reason too, is like, this has to, there's got to be a better way for people to find help. And yeah, and I knew a lot of great people. And yeah. And you mentioned the burnout 
piece. And that's definitely a, a, something that a lot of coaches, you know, coming from fitness, a lot of personal trainers get burnt out and they, they end their career. I think it's like 18 months or something. They move on for a different gym or do something different. How did you know, I guess you were burnt out and like, what were the signs and how did you manage that? Because that's something that's very real for different coaches, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. So the question is, how did I know I was burnt out? Yeah. I mean, at what yeah. point was it like, oh, okay, I'm really feeling burnt out versus like, oh, just, you know, I don't know how it got to that point. Yeah, I'm curious yeah. on how you felt. Yeah. There was like this, I can't maintain this anymore. That number of clients and yeah, just not feeling kind of as inspired as I had in the beginning. And yeah, just really having this clear feeling of this is not sustainable. I continue, I want to continue to grow, you know, financially and professionally, but I just, it was like, I'm, you know, locked in my office for you know several hours a day six days a week yep. just did not feel good on on many levels and yeah also i'm just curious it's like do you know the level that it kind of got to in terms of how many clients where there was too much versus like oh if i was if i would have just maybe been at this many hours i think it would have been better or do you know that mm-hmm. amount yeah i think i mean right now i have about 10 or so clients a week and that feels awesome. But then I also have <laughs> the business side. So that's definitely not all the hours that I work. But I think, you know, when it was around 20, just in private practice, that felt doable. But there was still this, then the, you know, the part of me that wanted to do more and make more. So that didn't, that wasn't, you know, quite the sweet spot either. But yeah, there, you know, it was just, it's kind of like, ah, oh, okay, there's not enough. Or then it can grow very quickly, but then the, oh, I'm missing out on life things because I'm working on Saturday. So right. yeah. That's definitely tricky. And as you got to your group practice with Evolve Wellness Group, mm-hmm. as you got the first person and then you progressed, and I think I saw there were like 11 or something people mm-hmm. on the team. Mm-hmm. Was there certain people you were you were searching out specifically or did it kind of happen organically? How did that happen, the growth of the team? So I, it was like, okay, organically of the people that initially definitely kind of came to me. But then I also, I mean, I, I, I had people in mind of clinicians that I've either worked with before or knew of and had shared a client with, but all clinicians, but one I've, yeah, I've kind of worked with directly. And so I've had no hesitation in sharing with them about, you know, the group practice or inviting them to join. And some, I had to wait for a year to join because they had other things going on. And one clinician, you know, again, it was kind of like a, oh, let's meet for coffee. And I really liked her. And, and, but then another friend, a colleague in the group practice had worked with her at a different uh, treatment program and vouched for her. And so, yeah, so it's, it's, you know, luckily it's kind of a small community uh, in the Bay Area disorder clinicians. So that helps. Um, But yeah, so I haven't gone the route of like ever posting a position. Yeah. We haven't had to do that yet. Yeah. And with that, I mean, can I get to that point? I'm kind of curious in kind of, you know, next steps or how you see the group practice going. Is it having more people involved? Is it you're kind of good for now? How do you see that going forward? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Some part of me is thinking maybe expanding to other cities and, and then kind of doing still like word of mouth. A few of my colleagues, you know, have either done training or have lived or worked in, in other major cities. We also have a lot of clients that, We'll move here from, let's say, New York and then move back or, you know, so I'm constantly referring to clinicians on the East Coast or in L.A. So having, you know, like an Evolve group 
in New York, I think would be pretty yeah. exciting. So that would be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many <laughs> options. And I, I know we've talked before about possibly going online and doing something online, but I don't know what the laws or regulations, how that works with therapy. I don't know. Have you, you've considered that, but what have you put like much more thought into that? I don't know if you're, if that's kind of in your wheelhouse for coming up at all. Yeah. Not top of mind, I guess. It's definitely something to continue to learn about as laws change. But my understanding is just, you know, if you're seeing a client that you have to be licensed in the state in which that client lives. Okay. So yeah. So possibility, but I think also within my niche of eating disorders, it is very beneficial for the client and clinician to be meeting in person as much as possible. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And at, mo- moving forward with also the book, which that's such an exciting thing. We had to talk about your book and how that kind of came about and what the book is exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was another dream of mine that <laughs> uh, <laughs> came to fruition. And so the book I wrote last year, it was over the summer and uh, the publisher had reached out to me. They found me online and they wanted to have a book written on the topic of binge eating. Um, they knew that it was a, a topic that was pretty popular and people were researching on Amazon. And and then so they liked my approach on treating binge eating through my blog and articles that I did some expert commentary on. And yeah. so, yeah, I wrote the book over the summer and I was published at the end of November. That's awesome. And it's called Stop Binging, Start Living. Is that right? Yes. 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 And with that book, I mean, I actually, before I even mention this part, I think it's important to know that like you already had like blog posts online and you had mm-hmm. some type of presence online for them to like find you mm-hmm. and see what you're working on. And I think that's so important that you mentioned because if anyone wants to start a business or a personal brand or coaching or anything, you just start putting out some type of content and some things that shows you're an expert. Cause it's one thing to have, you know, certification or whatever, but like for people to find you online, if you have some type of content, they can find you and then great opportunities like this, they do happen. So I think it's important to note that as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I definitely, you know, a part of me loves to write. And then another part is like, Oh no, let's get the concrete <laughs> thing done first. And so that, yeah, it was very affirming of the time that I spent writing blog posts and things that, that yeah, it attracted the publisher. So yeah, <laughs> I understand, it <laughs> but then I've also seen how it can pay off. Yes. It, it can be a challenge and, mm-hmm. but doing at least something and putting something out there over time, it, also accumulates. And so you kind of have that like, Oh, I actually have done a few articles and it kind of adds up even though in the day to day, it may seem sometimes like, Oh, this article is never getting done or whatever. Yeah. I've experienced that myself. Maybe I'm just speaking for me, but that's what it seems like. Uh-huh. And then the process of writing the book, take mm-hmm. us through that. Like what was the approach to writing the book and how long did you have exactly to do it? So from first initial discussions about the book to signing the contract and having the timeline it was a, a little over three months. And so I had about two weeks to kind of do some research and, you know, kind of blocking out the chapters and things. And then it was basically every two weeks I had a chapter due that I would submit to the editor and then I'd have to jump right away into the next chapter and just <laughs> keep going and take her feedback and, and integrate it. And yeah. So goodness. Yeah. It feels like a blur in a way, but <laughs> <laughs> it was challenging in many ways 
but you know, How so? um, well, there's that, you know, you think of, it's hard to just really imagine it coming to fruition. And then when you imagine that, okay, what's the feedback going to be or the critiques or criticism. And so, you know, getting those words out, especially just those first rough drafts uh, were quite challenging. And, but then there is definitely that, you know, you get into that sweet spot, you're in the flow. And then it's like, Oh, when I was in that, I was like, okay, I could do this again. <laughs> and <laughs> So that does happen. And I think, but again, for me, the deadlines and that accountability and having to you know, submit it to the editor who you know was waiting for that next draft. Definitely. I don't think it could have been done definitely in that timeline without those pieces of accountability. Yeah. Someone accountable to you is very important. That's why people have coaches and hire therapists and one, the expert knowledge, but also the accountability of like, Oh, you know, whatever you need to do. Right. I try to set artificial deadlines for myself on different things and it's, mm-hmm. it works somewhat mm-hmm. at least, but, <laughs> I mean, how many hours were you spending like a week trying to write this thing? I, so luckily, you know, during the summer is kind of a slow time for therapists. A lot of clients are traveling. So I was still seeing clients during that time, but otherwise it was eight to 10 hours a day writing or reading or listening to podcasts or just, I, you know, if it was a quote break from writing and then it was just kind of doing more research so, yeah, you know, I, I tried to continue with my yoga practice or having good meals or just kind of going for a walk, getting fresh air, but I got massages pretty regularly, but it did. I mean, it, yeah, definitely took a toll on my body. And yeah, again, having that experience, if I were to do it again, knowing how to, to really focus on taking care of myself during the process, but, but yeah, having that. See, yeah. Seems like quite the challenge, mm-hmm. <laughs> quite the challenge to do a book. I mean, I've obviously written different blog posts, but when you have something that's much bigger yeah. and, you know, many people are going to see it and it's going to be like a physical thing. And it's like, yeah. gosh, that's yeah. a little pressure. Yeah. It feels so final, but it was just, there's that, like, this was an amazing opportunity. I can't let the publishers down. I can't let myself down, you know, my friends and family that I shared with it. So it with so it's just kind of like I there's no question. So whenever I'd have that kind of critical voice pop up of who do you think you are, or how are you ever going to get this done? It was just like just keep going, just keep going. So yeah, and how much how much back and forth is there like with the publisher editor? I mean, mm-hmm. how much of that is there within this process? Mm-hmm. You know, to me again, first time, surprisingly, not a lot. Like it went pretty smoothly. You know, again, the editor would send me feedback or more detailed questions. And there was definitely a lot more in the beginning, the first few chapters. But then I I kind of, you know, by chapter three, it was like, okay, I kind of understand questions or her perspective and the communication flowed much more easily. Yeah, there was definitely very thorough reviews at the end, but it's kind of (laughs) in some ways scary of like, okay, I'm trusting you. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. And I'm curious too, like there's obviously some back and forth and I mean, is it just back and forth on the structure and the writing? Cause they're not the expert on the topic, mm-hmm. right? So how does exactly. that work? Exactly. Yeah. It's more of just like, could you explain this a bit more or, you know, rarely was it, you know, yeah. Questioning, um, the, the data or, you know, what I was putting forward, it was more of, Oh, could we phrase this in a different way or the ordering of it? Things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And 
if you were to write another book, mm-hmm. what do you think the next book would be? Mm. Yeah, I, I think, and this is important for me too, like the, this balance that we're all seeking, the work-life balance, integrating mindfulness, self-compassion for ourselves, like what that really means and not make, you know, making it much more approachable and just something that can and should be integrated into our daily lives. So maybe something around that may pertain to eating disorders, but, or maybe not just kind of more how we, we talk to ourselves and how we get through our day. What are some things, I mean, to that point on that topic, like what are some things you would tell people? Cause a lot of people are listening to this show and like the focus of this obviously is entrepreneurship and Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs are classic struggle with a work-life balance, but anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, career oriented, career driven kind of struggles with that. I'm just curious on what are some things you would tell them slash us? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, I, yeah, I think as you're saying, like the accountability piece is so important, but how we can do that for ourselves in a way that's much kinder, much more kinder. And I think typically, again, those of us who are drawn to the entrepreneurship, it's, it's like we, we are productive, but it, it does it ever feel good enough. And so really like slowing down and acknowledging how maybe unique we are in what we're doing and how hard we're working and that it's, it's not always going to be very concrete, but you know, so for me, it's my, yes, my to-do list, but also the star that I put next to it or just really recognizing (laughs) all that I'm doing, the tiniest little things, responding to an email, whatever, um, like really giving ourselves an encouragement because we don't have the boss anymore to do that. Or, you know, being okay with sharing our accomplishments with our friends and family, even though they may not get it a hundred percent, but still talking about it and getting that acknowledgement is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And as you've kind of gone through your whole entrepreneurial journey for these last few years, like what have been some resources that have been helpful for you kind of just learning how to run and grow a business. And then also just with personal, just any resources that have been helpful for you as growing as a human being. Yeah. I mean, I would say from, again, the beginning of the part-time private practice, I don't remember what exactly first I found. I think it was one professor in my master's program who taught, who told me about this therapist coach. But other than that, we received no business training whatsoever. And again, there's not a lot of therapist business coaching. So I kind of had to branch out and follow other coaches for other you know fields. And, and those are awesome. And I think so, you know, and a lot of it was either just being on their listserv and getting free emails or going to talks or events, um, a few like, you know, weekend events that were, were really uh, profound in my shift in perspective of what I deserve, setting my fees, setting boundaries around my schedules. And yeah, and then dealing with the naysayers or the, the you know, people who, are not in that place yet. So, you know, <laughs> right. So definitely, yeah, being around other people that are very motivated and that are willing to, you know, make create the life that they want. So, yeah, I would say coaches in that respect and and then of course, yeah, I mean the books are very helpful that definitely helped me and and realizing the group practice route was the way for me. I do listen to podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's like kind of the ebb and flow. Sometimes it's doing the book thing. Sometimes it's like podcast 24-7. But, you know, for me, it's been a lot of now in the last year or so, definitely more podcasts popping up 
four therapists. So that's been awesome and inspiring. And are, are, there, are there any particulars? I'm just always curious on details if you know any. So Annie Schusler, she's a therapist in the Bay Area and she has an awesome podcast, John Clark. So yeah, these are very niche <laughs> therapists. Oh yeah. <laughs> I also did the Marie Forleo program and she has kind of like video blog. Well, yep. But that her business school was very helpful in the beginning as well. Yeah, there's so many different resources and podcast books, audiobooks, there's so many different ways to consume and mm-hmm. or videos or whatever it may be. And then just like finding the niche ones are especially important because it applies to you so much because there is so much content out there. Right. And if you can find those people, it I mean it's so valuable. I remember listening to different podcasts early on, like I think it was like I love marketing and smart passive income and all these different ones that I learned so much from. Like mm-hmm. I still today, I think back on where did I learn that from? Like, oh, I think yeah. it was a podcast in like 2013. It's like, goodness, yeah. it is amazing. It's a powerful thing. So if people are interested in like becoming an entrepreneur or trying to learn things, like there are so many paths totally. to learn, which is really useful. Yeah. One thing I'm always interested in too is how different entrepreneurs manage their day-to-day, manage their weeks, their months. How do you approach that managing your time with the group practice, your prior practice, like everything you're doing? How do you manage that? Mm-hmm. Still navigating that, but <laughs> I think for me, it's been helpful to kind of have like client days and then the business days. So that helps me mentally kind of gear up for, okay, this is my client days. I'm not going to be on my email a lot. And then, you know, the days that are kind of the personal or fun days. Typically Monday for me, is just kind of like a little bit of emailing in the morning and then it's my chores or things like that. It's been awesome to shift that in my life of dreading Mondays to, Ooh, this is a great fun day. So, yep. yeah. So, you know, I think it's again, to really recognize that we are in control of our schedules and not letting the fear or that, Oh, I have to fill clients at certain times or certain days because, they won't come at other times, like not letting that get in the way of your ability to create the schedule that you want and that it has to, but again, that took time for me when I realized I don't want to work Saturdays anymore. It was okay. As clients kind of ended or graduated, then I consciously had to say, okay, I'm not filling that spot and the same for the evening spot. So now I'm only working one night a week and that feels great. And yeah, so it's again, having that accountability and support to say, okay, what do you want? This is what I want. And now what are the steps to get it and and that to follow through on it? Yeah. And I remember how challenging that was during my personal training days because it was early clients, late clients. Some people did both and did, you know, you start like a 5 a.m. session all the way to like 7 or 8 p.m. And then you have Mm -hmm. some breaks in between. And it's like, you have to, I think it's helpful, like you said, to like kind of have pick and choose, like which which times you're going to do nights or mornings or whatever it may be. I really like what you mentioned with the different days and having different days for clients or different, like this is business day more so, this is client day. I'm kind of figuring that out with podcast stuff of different days to have interviews and different days to do intro calls and kind of figure out the schedule with that Mm -hmm. combined with business school. I think it's helpful for people to figure that out for themselves as well. Maybe having a separation between the days to then kind of optimize and shift that mindset because it is tough to go back and forth between tasks. I realize that. Right. Yep. Yeah, And it spends a lot of time actually through that. But as we kind of wrap up here, I'm just curious, any other like advice or words you'd have for either like coaches or therapists or aspiring entrepreneurs as you've obviously built your business up, but anything you would mention to them? Yeah. Well, I would say I have been a part of a mastermind group for two years and that's been great. So it's other therapists, not, not all within my niche, 
Um, but that's uh, been another great way of accountability and just, and then just support. So yeah. there's a way that, yeah, putting to, you know, joining a mastermind group or initiating one, I think is, is really helpful. And then I would just so lastly of, you know, how much our perspective or mentality around this is so important. And just so, you know, again, the, the ebb and flow of getting clients or how they find you or that sometimes it'll be quite slow, but then it picks up. <laughs> and so just, yeah, trusting in that, trusting that, you know, it will come together and yeah, believing in yourself. Love it. And then where can people go to learn more about what you're doing, find resources or anything that you're up to online? Yeah. So I have my personal website and that's just my first and last name, shereenbarami.com. And then my group practice website is evolvetherapy.org. Awesome. And I will link to all of that as well in the show notes. Just go grind.com slash podcast. Shreen, thank uh-huh. you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Justin. This was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great day.